Welcome to Talking Giants presented by Seat Geek. I'm your host, Bobby Skinner, here with my co-host, Justin Pennick. Got a nice little podcast for you. We got our annual post-free agency, even though it's still in free agency, interview with Dan Duggan. Some good nuggets in there. Tony Award-winning Dan Duggan. Guy's an award, uh, award-winning journalist. We're going to talk about Matt Breida and Jihad Ward. Justin, how are you doing? And you had a very good, successful combine video that if people haven't watched, should watch. Yes, yes. Hi, Bobby Skinner. We released the first ever John Boy Media Scouting Combine today, so I'm kind of jazzed up about that. Seems like a lot of people are enjoying it. I'm very proud of it, so I hope you can go watch that. And the Giants are making some moves. Not really thrilling, exciting moves, but they're making them. And Dan Duggan, as always, is fantastic. So I'm feeling very, very good. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, a couple of signings. Uh, I'm re- I'm really excited about this Matt Breida signing, which we'll talk about in a second. I'm really excited about that. The Dan Duggan interview was good, and just get. I mean, draft month is coming up. We're basically you know two weeks away from our first draft month episode. We'll have Nick Filato on the podcast next week. Um, so I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited about about all that. Before we get into the episode, this episode, and we might have a North Carolina announcement on Friday's podcast. Ooh. Um, before we get into this episode, this episode was brought to you by three special people. Maybe they're not special. Maybe they're just kind of normal people. We got Matt Batista, who's going to do a Batista bomb on your ass. Mm-hmm. We've got Clay, but it's, it's spelled C L E I G H, which I've never wow. seen Clay spelled that way. I kind of like that. And then Nathan Powell, who is um, um, Norman Powell. You know, former Toronto Raptors brother. So he's he's supporting from Canada. Justin, who are these uh, Canadians? Disagree. The, all these people are special. And if you want to be special too, go to patreon.com slash talking giants. Two dollars a month plus some other tiers. You get to hang out with us live while we record the shows. And uh, you know the perks. You know what? I'm cutting it short there. You know the perks. Patreon.com slash talking giants. Thank you to our wonderful special patrons. All right, Justin, let's start with the Giants signing running back, Matt Breida, who's 27 years old. I love, 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 love this signing. Uh, I would assume he would be RB2 at this moment behind Saquon Barkley. And he does have injury issues. Like, he's battled with injuries throughout his career. But when he's healthy, and if he's a backup, he's not going to be getting a ton of carries. He's good, man. His best year was in 2018 with the 49ers where he had 153 carries. 814 yards and 5.3 yards per carry and just from a statistical point of view look at his yard per yards per carry the last uh his career 4.4 5.3 5.1 4.3 which was his career low low was 4.3 yards per carry behind a horrible offensive line in the miami dolphins and then 4.8 yards per carry last year like he's a productive efficient back and he can do things that most depth guys or you know fill-in spot starters can do and with Matt Breida it's also not an exaggeration to say that Matt Breida is one of the fastest players in the NFL (laughs) it's not especially Um, from the running back spot yeah yeah and 2019 Matt Breida registered the fastest speed of any football player um, with the top speed of I believe 22 miles an hour let's get it exactly here 22.3 miles an hour 2019 he had a long run against the cleveland browns where it was actually pretty funny waves goodbye to the defenders before he goes into the end zone because dudes can't catch him so i was really really on top of the matt burita hype train and some other fantasy football analysts that i like to follow it's actually funny we had nick urcolano on from bdge on, I believe, heading into the 2020 season. And it was 2019 and 2020 where I was really on the the Matt Burita train. And he's serviceable numbers for a backup, but we'll talk about some of the hesitations that I have because I was let down by Matt Burita. But for a backup, the receiving ability, the speed out of the backfield, and even the advanced numbers according to Next Gen 2018 and 2019, he had a positive rushing yards over expected in both seasons. He was 14th in rushing yards over expected in 2018, 22nd in 2019. And what that metric tells me is that, yeah, you know, you can go to Bobby Skinner and say, Bobby, he was on the 49ers. That's why his yards per attempt were so high. Well, the rushing yards over expected metric separates offensive line play from the running back play. So Matt Breed did those advanced metrics are even good for him there too. Fast, explosive, fun. Yeah, and it signals that the Giants are going to be one of the run outside of the tackles. They're going to try and implement some more wide zone 
um, some toss plays. Like they like, and the nice thing is he worked with Brian Dable last year, played under Brian Dable, so we know how Brian Dable wants to use him. He wants to use him outside the tackles, uh, whether it's on outside zone or toss plays, which I I never seen a guy get so many toss plays for the amount of carries that he got. And again, it's speed, 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 and everything is set up off the speed. But he's got good vision too. Like, he sees cuts back really well. If there's a linebacker that's overflowing, he knows how to stutter and get that guy to, you know, to, you know, hit the brakes a little bit and then bam, like that, that just that quick burst. Like, he's got that, there's some guys who can run fast in a straight line. He's got that quick burst with the long speed. Um, and then obviously he's going to be used as a, as a receiving threat. You know, they use him in the screen game a ton. Uh, or he's using the, the screen game a ton. And then obviously your normal, your normal running back routes. He's just a, he's a lot of fun to watch, and he's not again. He's not just some oh he's fast like oh this isn't you know the the seven year NFL project running back who like everyone loved out of college was so fast and but like hasn't put it together like no he's put it together like his 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 numbers are very well he's an extremely efficient guy um, so I just think he sets stuff up really well and if he's if he's your starter for a week I don't think you should feel bad about your running back spot. And if he's your backup, it's like, okay, we could put a backup in who could come in and change the game and Matt Breida in just one play. This is the most excited I've been for a backup running back since Shane Vereen. What was that, circa 2015? 2014? Um, yeah, it was 2015. Or maybe it might have might have came in 2014, but I know he was there in 2015. Yeah, he was there if he was here for two years, and he signed yeah. like a multi-year So 2014 deal, so. to 15. Right, but there's no other backup running back that we've been more excited for, right? Like... Andre Brown, Orleans, Darkwell were starter slash backup guys. Rashad Jennings is a starter. Um, twenty eighteen, it's Wayne Gallman who's drafted. We're definitely more, I, I, right, more excited about Matt Breida versus Wayne Gallman. Yes, definitely. More excited about Wayne Gallman versus, uh, I guess Devontae Booker was the next guy in line. Yes. Yeah. Um, so there you go. Not more excited than Alfred Morris, though. To be fair. Oh, okay, uh, Alf- true. Alfred, I stand up. Alfred Morris and uh, Matt Breida shared the same backfield in 2018, I believe, with the 49ers. That's true. That's true, man. You're you must be an Alfredite with all that information you got. Well, there. I, I think I'm a I think I'm a Breedadite. That, uh, <laughs> that sounds weird. You're a, you're a breeder. I am I am, I am a breeder. Um, you were talking about the outside zone while you know cutting it upfield, you know, and just being efficient. A metric that I also like, another next gen metric, is time behind the line of scrimmage. He has a very above-average time behind the line of scrimmage, especially with his time in San Fran, which that is a very much an outside zone scheme. He didn't qualify for enough carries in 2019 and 2020 to be on the next-gen site, so that actually kind of stinks because those are you know lesser offensive lines. But still, when you consider that a lot of his carries are coming outside the tackles, I would still say that he is still efficient in terms of getting the football and then getting past that line of scrimmage, which... You know, the Giants' offensive line probably won't be fully fixed this year. We're going to still need running backs that get the football and then get upfield or, you know, are patient enough to get something out of a given play. Well, it's speed with good vision and also burst and not dancing too much. You know, when he's running between the tackles, there's a time where you're like, yeah, you maybe could have hit that a little harder. But also it's like, man, he can squeeze through some, like, tight holes too. And it's like, okay, like... Like most running backs, like I'm not going through that hole, or I'm just gonna push that pile right there. It's like, oh my gosh, he just burst through that to get it, make it a nine yard gain instead of a three or four yard gain. So again, it's this is you know the Giants are are uh, bargain bin uh, hunting right now, but like this is the one that I love. Like I love this like bargain signing for for yeah. Matt Breida. Like I really do. So here's where I want to push back a little bit because I fell victim to the Matt Breida hype train multiple, multiple times. Now, again, we're ta- this is a really, really str- like big nitpick because this is a guy that we signed for one year. He is not being paid a lot of money, and we are super excited for him. All of those things still stand. But where I f- find like the hesitation is that Matt Breida should Matt Breida should be getting more carries in the National Football League, and especially well, in, and I, I I know he gets hurt, but. In a backfield in 2019 where the San Francisco 49ers had all those running backs go down, I know Jarek McKinnon was one of them that went down. He still had trouble finding, like, being the sole starter in that backfield. Miles Gaskin in 2020 with the Dolphins got more carries than he did. In 2021, Matt Breida was third on the depth chart behind Singletary and, and Zach Moss, which honestly, 
I find Breida to be an, an extremely exciting running back, and I get more excited about him than Moss or Singletary. My point is, it's not just one coaching staff, it's three coaching staffs that has had this guy kind of lower on the depth chart. So I would like to think that that happens for a reason. Maybe if it was one coaching staff, it would be like, oh, sometimes coaching staffs are stupid, and fans sometimes are right when they're putting their fist on the table for guys to get playing time, which I do think all three fan bases, at least 49ers and Buffalo, those fan bases wanted to see Matt Breida get more carries. Um, and it just hasn't happened yet. So that's the that's the caveat. Well, also, uh, Saquon Barkley is still on this team. Saquon Barkley will still be getting the majority of the carries. So um, I just want him to be a f- – listen, if he puts up 4.4, 5.3, 5.1, 4.3, or 4.8 yards per carry as a backup running back – I'll be happy. Yeah. You know, like I'm not worried about getting Matt Breida a ton of carries. I just want whenever he does get carries to be efficient and be able to um, stretch defenses, uh, you know, horizontally. Yeah. Uh, And that sets stuff up for that sets up for not just play action, but better types of play action plays, play action plays that lead to big plays. Okay. Because when linebackers are, when linebackers are reading their keys versus uh, a play action up the middle, it's a lot different than when they're reading their keys on a play action outside zone and they're flowing. Okay. Mm. Cause now you got guys coming the opposite way of one way that the other defenders are going. And it, you know, that's why teams like San Fran and those wide zone teams can get so much, you know, play action out of those, out of those outside yeah. zone plays. And he's I used just, as a receiving threat too. I just had to mention that as somebody who has gotten my heart broken by Matt Breida fantasy wise, I had to mention that, but very, very excited. And I totally agree about all those things that Matt Breida can bring those things to the table. The next uh, player the Giants signed before we get into the Danton Duggan interview, Jihad, Jihad Ward, uh, 27 oh. years old, six foot five, 287 pounds, spent the last uh, last year with the Jags where he had 32 tackles, two sacks, three tackles for a loss on about 50% of the snaps or so. Um, and 2020 with, was with, was, was with, was with Wink Martindale and the Ravens. Obviously that's where the connection comes from. Uh, in 10 games, he had 16 tackles, three sacks, four tackles for a loss. To be honest, I'm not, I understand this and Lorenzo Carter is gone. I've tried to find the Lorenzo Carter contract details. Couldn't find them. Um, but, you know, if you listen to our Edge review, I was very okay with moving on from Lorenzo Carter um, and just letting guys like Quincy Roche or, you know, the fill-in-the-gap, you know, Jihad Ward players come in and play that spot and be able to do what he was able to do um, at a cheaper number. And I don't know what Lorenzo Carter got. Um, but I will say with Jihad Ward, kind of left me a little underwhelmed play-wise. I know I remember his name coming out of the draft. Uh, he's not going to test the corner at the edge. Like he is an outside linebacker, defensive end. He's not going to test. He's not going to test the offensive tackles. Like if he's just going one on one with offensive tackles, he very rarely wins. But where I do see him getting production, Justin and I saw, you know, saw this on film was with the Jags and the Ravens. Is he is an outside linebacker, but we know Wink Martindale likes to run more than two outside linebackers on the time on the field at one time. Is on pass rush downs. You line him up inside. That's where Jihad Ward's production is going to come from. Um, so that's where, if you see Jihad Ward being a successful New York Giant, I think that's where it's going to be. When it's Aziz Ojolari and Kayvon Thibodeau on the edges on second and 12, and Jihad Ward is lining up over the guard, he can make a guard look silly. But when he's just going one up, one-on-one versus tackle, he just doesn't win. He just he doesn't have those wins. He doesn't have the get off the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, and he doesn't just have like that, that long speed and that ability to bend corners. Like it just... He got shut down. I mean, I, I was watching it versus Cam Fleming, and Cam Fleming was handling him uh, pretty well. But So that's where I think he can get success with the Giants, Justin. But I'm going to say I don't think he's a guarantee to make the 53-man roster. Like I, I don't because there's a Z, we would imagine they add an edge at the top of the draft, or you know maybe round one, round two, round three. So that's a guaranteed roster spot. Aziz Ojolari. I think I would take Quincy Roche over him, and that's three. So right now he's that fourth guy. So... I'm not. I th- I think he's gonna have to battle for a roster spot. Is what I'm saying. I think if 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 the camp ended today, I would have him on there, and I'd have the Giants keeping five edges with Ellerson Smith and whoever they draft. Um, but at but I just I do think it will be a battle. Like it's, he he's not walking in the camp with a, a job earned. I don't believe. Yeah, for a guy that's signed in, you know, how many days are we into free agency in the new league year? Um, you know, 2020 with a. Wake Martindale had three sacks, eight QB hits on 40% of the snaps. So he, I've always found he has some sneaky QB hit production in there. 
Um, but when that's kind of the best thing you're saying about somebody, it's not, you know, fan- fantastic. Um, he was traded from the Colts to the Ravens in 2019. And then 2020, he spent the, the full season with Wink Martindale in 10 games. And one of the things that I looked at immediately, Bobby, was where did he line up in those 10 games and 40% of the snaps in 2020? Where did he line up? What are his, snap, what are his snaps by position look like? So here's what they look like with Baltimore and Wink Martindale. Interior defensive line. Now, this doesn't mean that he has his hand in the dirt, but that's what you talked about, about being that stand-up A-gap blitzer. Well, I 50... think he's better with his hand in the dirt, to be honest. Oh, like, really? Because he has a... when he's standing up, he doesn't get off the ball well. When he's got his hand in the dirt... That's when he can get good get off. So that's where I want to see him is on those specialized packages that with Martindale. Like, hey, you want to know what? Because he because he is he's two hundred and eighty seven pounds. So the first thing that came to my brain is is this another Ofedi Adenabo where this guy's like an outside linebacker, but he really should be a defensive end in a three four system. So that's interesting to hear you say that. So fifty four snaps, it, like lining up at the interior defensive line, whether his hand is in the ground or he's standing up in that as that a gap blitzer. Left end, 14 snaps. Right end, 8 snaps. So that tells me you're not really a 3-4 a defensive end. Left outside linebacker, 82 snaps. Right outside linebacker, 86. So he's basically either lining up as an outside linebacker or he's in the A-gap either with his hand in the dirt or he's a stand-up blitzer. Yeah, and the, and the Jags did something similar where they didn't have him lining up in the A-gap, but they had him lining up uh, between the guard and the tackle or just flat out on the edge. You know, like with his best production. In fact, there's I posted a couple of clips for his one versus Mark Lewinsky and one versus Quentin Nelson was, you know, they have Josh Allen and um, who's the other pass rusher they have Chase on, I guess, and they have those guys on the edge and then uh, Jihad Ward at the three technique over the guard, and that's where he was able to work, like he because he has decent lateral ability to get outside in, but he doesn't have that ability to do that versus tackle, so. Um, I think he does make the roster, but you, when, if you see him playing on Sundays, his best plays will come from the inside and not from the edge. You know, he can hold his own versus the run on the on the outside versus the edge, but he's not. He's just not a difference maker on. If you're just talking about just edge for edge, Lorenzo Carter is a better player than him. He's just a big dude. Um, we uh, hey, here here's a player comp. Player comp. Uh, Demarvin Leal. Am I getting his name right from Texas A and M? Yeah, that's fair. I think people have a little more hope for DeMarvin Leal right now because he's going into the draft. But, yeah, sim- I would say, yeah, similar similar type player. I actually think that that is a good comp. There you go. Yeah, because I was, I was looking at him this past weekend, and huge, like he's like 280, 290 pounds due. Um, and he was an edge rusher for Texas A&M. And a lot of people are saying that how a you know, little, little very, definitely too slow, not enough burst to be coming off the edge, but do you have enough strength to be an interior defense alignment? So he's kind of stuck a uh, stuck in the middle there. So there you go. There's a player comp. Bam. That's actually a good player comp. How about that? So when we're talking about Marvin Leal during the draft, like, I, gee, I see him as Jaha Ward. I've realized the only player comps I'm good at are the ones that remind me of Giants players because, like, those are the players I watch in and out every snap. It's like I don't watch Stefan Diggs in and out every snap yeah. to, to comp as anyone to Stefan Diggs. Um, even though early talking Giants, I comp Terry McLaurin to Stefan Diggs. How about that? And that actually worked out as a pretty good comp. There you go. Good for you. Yeah, I was a big Terry McLaurin guy. Now, again, was our draft uh, coverage as in-depth in 2019? No, it wasn't. But I, I was right about the Terry McLaurin hype. I will I, I will give myself credit for that. Um, but I won't bring up that I thought Tavan Coney was going to be a good linebacker. I Ooh, won't bring that up. Don't bring it up. Um, the Giants also signed Jameel Douglas, who was with the Bills last year on the practice squad. He only played two reps. Um, this is a camp. Like, if someone gets injured in camp, like I, Jameel Douglas, there's no he's, – he's been in the league for seven years. He's not a starter. He is a backup. Um but he has played NFL snaps. I'll be honest, I didn't watch the film on him. Uh, but wow. that's that's Jameel. That's Jameel. All right, Justin, do you want to kick it to the interview? Let's kick it to Dan Duggan. College basketball fans, join the action uh, on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings Sportsbook. Turn your team's victory into your own big win. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. It's that simple. They win, you win. I've actually been having a lot of fun, partly because I'm doing pretty well in this bracket. Like, I thought so. Every year, as you get older, 
the sports that you aren't as diehard of, you get less and less of a fan of, of it each year, Justin. You know, and college basketball was kind of that for me. You know, whereas like this year, it's like I didn't watch a second of college basketball this season. Like not a not a second. You know, and when I did my my bracket, I did a little bit of research, um, but I ended up I was like, you know what, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna pick some one seeds to get into the final four. And I you picked St. Peter's. Every, I yeah, I I did pick St. Peter's. That is true. Um, and I I picked them before the other game too. Um, I've been watching every single game. Like I've been watching the last five minutes of every single game. This tournament has been awesome. Like I'm I'm back in on the tournament and the Talking Giants tournament group has been fun to keep track of. If sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, bet on it. That'll get you excited. You can still join the college hoops actions with DraftKings pools. Everyone can play free pools all March long for a shot at a share of $250,000 in prizes. Simply join a pool and answer questions like who will make it to the next round and who will hit the most three-pointers then check the results. Miami looks good, baby. I feel it. I smell a championship in the air for Miami. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code JOHNBOY. Bet $5 on any college hoops team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with promo code JOHNBOY this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 plus restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Now, it's Tony award-winning journalist, Dan Duggan. Come on, pay attention in there. Let's go. We got a beautiful day. Work. Play fast. Play fast. Whoa. Ah. All right, we now welcome back onto the show. We do this every year after free agency of The Athletic. And more, more importantly, an award-winning journalist of the, not sure if you're a, a good person, but best Giants uh, reporter presented by Kadarius Tony Award, presented by Talking Giants Award. Mm. Dan Duggan, how are you feeling ever since the uh, the award? I feel like it's kind of, you know, boosted your name in the streets a little bit. Yeah, I mean, still haven't come down from that high. I mean, I'm getting my shelving off. You know, I got to get reconfigured to make room for that uh, that award. That's why I don't have it behind me. But trust me, it'll, it'll be there eventually. I mean, we sent I, – I don't know if you'll ever wear the T-shirt that says Media Some Clowns, <laughs> uh, you know, the $20 uh, Duncan gift card. What's your wife's reaction when that stuff starts coming in the mail? Like, what, what, what is all this? <laughs> definitely, definitely confusion. I'd say that's the biggest one. Um, yeah, the shirt. I haven't found the appropriate time to uh, to wear it. Actually, it's funny. I was thinking I should have brought it to the Senior Bowl because I didn't realize you guys would be down there, and I never even got to hook up with you guys. I literally could tell when you were tweeting where you were at. I was like, I'll go over and say hi to those guys. And then the Brian Flores lawsuit dropped, so that kind of changed oh. plans. And the next day it was raining, so I never even got in touch with you guys. But that would have been probably the uh, the setting to wear it so i don't i don't know i gotta find the right time to, to break that out yeah you know senior bull standout Kadarius tony too um now you can't win it for two years i mean we, we copied it from the good guy award uh, <laughs> essentially we created our own self-serving award to you know people who are, are nice so do you have any tips for the next you know group of candidates or 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 an endorsement like put your weight behind somebody I'm certainly not going to endorse any of these guys i mean i think you should probably just vacate the award for a year and then let me get back in the running um no, listen, I don't know. I've, I've been with you guys from, from early on when I was like, who the hell are these guys hitting me up? And then all of a sudden, you know, I was like, oh, maybe they're kind of legit. So I think that's the key. You got you to gotta bend there. You can't just jump in on this Talking Giants train now. You have to bend there from early on. Oh, oh, I, I remember, yeah. you know, Simple Man Radio's it's viewed many different uh, iterations. And, we, you know, we're still trying to, you know, screw around with it a little bit. But I remember having you on and you had a picture where you got like a cut under your eye playing basketball or something. And I yeah. was like, all right, here's the episode. And you're like, can you not use that picture of me with my eye cut? And so here I'm sure you used it, right? Yeah. Yeah. But here we are. And, uh, you know, you know, that was the beginning of the Dave Gelman era. The Dave Gelman's era over, is over. Joe Shane era has begun. Just generally, have you ever had like a, a draft or you know, like going into this draft and you know, even they've hit, filled some, you know, little bit of needs in free agency where it's just, it feels like they have so many holes and so and, and not just as depth, but as starters. And it's like, you know, we keep on hearing like, oh, you can get this guy in the draft, get this guy in the draft. But it's like they they almost might go into the draft with more holes than needs or, or more needs than than picks. And they have nine of them. No, I agree. It's funny. I was talking to some people the other day about this. I think this might be like the, at this point in time, the worst roster in my time. And that's and that's fine. I won't put that up front because everyone's very defensive. I'm like, this is what it kind of should be. Like, this is what they should have done in 2018, the kind of tear down rebuild not just a little, you know, buff it up and try and remodel it on the fly. But when you do look at the roster right now, I mean, it is, like you said, there's huge holes everywhere. And then you're only making more with some of these cap-related moves. Like, I mean, Logan Ryan, maybe we'll get into that. That wasn't even cap-related. 
but then obviously the James Bradbury shoe is going to drop. So when you look at what this roster is going to look like on draft day, and of course, hey, you can nail the draft and we'll look back and say that was the start of the turnaround. But if you just look at the NFL players on this roster right now, I mean, it's scary thin. So uh, yeah, no, I think this is probably as bad as it's been, but it's also, it's very easy to look back a year ago. Like, oh man, they filled this big hole at receiver, this big hole at corner, this big hole at tight end, which I never really bought that one, but uh, you can fool yourself into thinking that. And we saw what happened. So I don't think it's the worst thing that they're not just spending and not that they could, but going crazy, trying to figure out ways to, to patch holes right now. It's going to be a process. This year is, is not going to probably be a great year, but you're hoping they're laying a foundation for, for like the long term. And we're waiting for the next domino to fall. And we've been waiting for this guy for the next few, for the next last couple of weeks. And that's going to be James Bradbury. So what's his status? Um, you know, we're all kind of sitting here before the start of the new league year. Is something going to happen? No. What's his status right now? What is the plan with James Bradbury, at least maybe in your opinion, or what maybe what, what you would do? You have a pretty good understanding of, you know, the cap and the implications and things like that. Yeah. Deadline. So what's the status of James Bradbury? What's uh, what's next? So the description I've used, it's kind of cliche, but it applies perfectly. It's just a game of chicken. Like Joe Shane, everyone knows he kind of made a rookie mistake, in my opinion, announcing how much money he wanted to clear. But, I mean, it would have become apparent anyways. But once he wasn't going to restructure Leonard Williams, he wasn't going to restructure Kenny Galladay, all those types of things, you knew he was probably going to move James Brad Bradbury. But he came right out like the day after he got hired and told Peter King that number. So if you're a GM at another uh, franchise, you're like, you can just keep a tally on your whiteboard. It's not that hard of math to, to tally it up. And I think they're at like 25. So obviously James Bradbury would be that extra 12 and basically get you to the 40. Um, but he held firm because they definitely had the option where you could have cut him, just cut your losses and said, listen, people are playing hardball with us. It stinks. We, you know, he's worth something, but we just want to get the money and operate, you know, with a little bit of wiggle room. And he didn't blink. Then, you know, that 4 p.m. deadline for the new league year was sort of a soft deadline. Um, but still, now, if they cut him now, they're eating $2 million this year. And we can get into like, they can get it back in 2023, but that's a little convoluted. But bottom line is, that was a point where you said, okay, is he going to just bite the bullet and say, listen, we can't trade him. I'm going to cut him. He didn't do that. And now, obviously, when you hear reports that, oh, they'll keep Mullet up to week one, he needs that word out there. So, I mean, because other teams are like, oh, maybe they will. They know the reality. I mean, their draft class is basically dollar for dollar what they get in James Bradbury's cap savings. And you see how tight they are right now. There's no way they can get to training camp with Bradbury's cap hit on the, on the ledger unless they do something drastic like restructure Leonard Williams or, or something crazy like that. So I think that's the real deadline is the draft. I still think something's going to happen sooner than later. I mean, they're restructuring Graham Gano to basically afford like Matt Burita and, and Jihad Ward signing. So uh, they're really tight right now. I think just giving themselves a little breathing room. I mean, still, they're going to need that 12 million basically for the draft class, but you want to have maybe a little flexibility if someone's available for like two or $3 million, they really can't even do that right now. So uh, I still think sooner than later, but I will say, you know, Shane's proven to be a you know, poker player. He didn't just fold at the, at the first sign of, you know, things not going his way. Uh, I think he has to bite the bullet and realize the value is not, you know, what it should be for a player of graduate caliber. It might end up being like a sixth round pick or one of those Amari Cooper where you, you trade a sixth for a fifth. So it's something, a really marginal upside, but it's just kind of the reality that they're in. Does it seem like they have offers because, you know, there was, you know, or is there like they're holding out for a better offer? You know, they've been offered a six and it's like, no, we're not going anything lower than a fourth. I'd rather cut them than give them up for a six type thing. Uh, no, I, I don't know for a fact. I don't think so. I, I think they're at the point now where like, hey, if the six is the best you're getting at this point because there's still a lot of corners out there. Teams have kind of moved on. I don't think you hold them, hold them, hold them. Your leverage doesn't really get better. I don't think I know. I see people say like, oh, the team strikes out in the draft. Like At that point, the team might say, this is our roster for this year and we'll just you know kind of get by with what we have. So you're really playing a game of chicken. Uh, I don't think they have offers. I think they have it, it inquiries, which is like some of these fun semantics wordplay we do at this time of year. Teams are interested in. If he gets cut, he'll sign. I mean, maybe not as fast as Logan Ryan, but he'll sign quickly, and it'll probably be you know north of ten million dollars a year. But teams are looking at it like, do I want to give up draft capital to take this one year salary for thirteen million, which that's a big cap hit, and you know James Bradbury's a good player. He's probably not worth that. All right, so now we're going to extend him. So why am I giving anything up when you're going to have to cut this guy? I can just bid, and if I don't get him, it's not the end of the world. I mean, you know, teams want him, but he's not, you know, like, oh, my goodness, we're going to have to, you know, tear up our cap for the future to get James Bradbury. I think there's a couple teams that are definitely interested, and and he'll have no problem finding a market, but I, I don't think um, the Giants have, like, three different offers, and they're, they're leveraging him. I think if they get a reasonable offer, they'll take it, you know, kind of clean their hands of him and just get that $12 million in cap space. No, it's kind of crazy not to totally get into him because we've talked about him a lot 
um, so far this offseason. But, you know, you, you could replace the name Saquon Barkley with James Bradbury in your explanation, and it kind of makes the, the same exact sense. But um, Logan Ryan, uh, that's somebody who you've been on talking about and just putting out there in your writing, but you haven't been like, this is, it, this, this still doesn't make sense. Even <laughs> right. hearing this. So walk, I want to hear your timeline, walk us through your timeline of what you heard out of either it's pre combine during combine about Logan Ryan. Um, and then ultimately how it went down and why is it beneficial for the giants to do this this year? Or does it just totally not make sense? Yeah, well, I'll give a shout out to a, uh, a Tony Award favorite for next year, I'm sure. And based on uh, what I've seen on social media, Pat Leonard, he's the one who put it out there first in like early February, mid-February. And I read his story. Like, well, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> uh, but you know, obviously he had said he was, you know, heard that from people in the front office. So I just kind of was operating as if it wasn't a realistic thing. I saw that, took note of it. Uh, but then I was in Indianapolis and I was talking to somebody who A, would have no reason to like mislead me and B, like was like, yeah, they don't, they don't want him. Like they want to cut him. They want to move on. And this person, again, like I was still skeptical, even though I really had no reason to. And now I know going forward to, to listen to this person. Um, I was like, it just still doesn't make sense because you just do the basic math and, and you look at like you're saving 775K this year, be eating 11 and a half million. And whatever you think of Logan Ryan's play, I mean, he played like 100% of the snaps. So that's leaving a huge void. I mean, you know, as we all know, the only safeties on the roster right now are Xavier McKinney and Julian Love. So it's kind of like, wow, you're going to just like make a huge hole like that because you might not think he's a perfect fit. But I just kind of kept hearing it. So, yeah, every time I'd write one of those stories about, like, moves to watch out for, I just, like, you know, whispers, but it doesn't make sense. So then it got really confusing, too, with um, he had a trigger in his contract on Friday, which I'm kicking myself for not, like, kind of honing in on more that, yes, of course, they have to do it before then. Because at that point, $3 million more of his contract would have got, or his salary would have got guaranteed. They would have, like, lost cap space to cut him this year. So they have to, if they're going to do anything, it has to be by then. So I wish my antenna was up a little more. Um, so I don't know still the – the machinations behind the scenes. I, I don't think it was a surprise to Logan Ryan again, especially when he lands in Tampa pretty much immediately. I think, you know, the sides probably knew this was coming. I don't know that they tried to work out a pay cut or anything like that. It does seem like they just kind of wanted to move on. Um, I mean, I'm basically just having to connect dots. It's a new regime. I don't have as many connections with the coaching staff and, and so on at this point, but it just feels like, and it, it makes sense. I know other people have kind of come to the same conclusion. He was a big presence in a good way. If you're Joe Judge and Pat Graham, like he was the embodiment of what they wanted on the field, in the locker room. He was like the face of sort of their regime. So if you're a new regime coming in, like that can kind of be a double-edged sword. Like, I don't know if I want the old regime's guy having a big voice in the locker room, a lot of young defensive backs, influential guy. Like, and I'm not saying Logan Ryan's a bad guy at all, but it's just he's not our guy. And as you can see how the moves they've made, our guy is sort of a defining characteristic of most NFL front offices. They want to they bring a new regime in. They want to get their John Feliciano. They want to get their leaders in and kind of push the other ones out. But I think it's as simple as that. You, know, you can say he didn't fit in, in wing schemes. Like, I don't I don't know. I mean, I think he'd fit better than whoever the third safety is going to be this year. Yeah, um, so. he, listen, he, I don't think he's going to be a – he would have been a perfect wing scheme, but he's a guy who's played corner, safety, in the – like, to me, I know he's not the same player he may have been, a, you know, a year ago or two years ago, but, like, I – like a guy who's versatile, like I feel like that fits perfectly with Wink. And again, I know he's he's not as good as he once was, but like you yeah. said, he's not going to be better than what they brought in. They're not saving any cap space. I'm still kind of dumbfounded by it. To where at first I was like, I'm not believing this whole like oh Joe Judge connection crap. But it's like it's kind of the only thing that makes sense because, like you said, like maybe they're trying to. I I don't know, but it's yeah, it's, it's the best I got. I mean, to wrap and- your head around to put the cap thing, to put a ball on the cap thing. So like they saved 775 K this year, which is really negligible because as soon as they sign somebody, you know, it'll yeah, you cancel that like out. 10,000 or something. Yeah. But it's like 3 million is off the books next year. Cause he's totally off the books. If you let him play out this whole season and then cut him next off season, you're left with 3 million dead money, but that's totally insignificant amount. So, I mean, it had to be more about not wanting the person, the player than anything cap related because we have 3 million is a rounding error. When you consider how much space they're going to have next year, 3 million this year, would be kind of a big deal, but there should be fine cap wise next year that that $3 million uh, shouldn't have factored heavily into that decision. Yeah. If they like moved off, if they were just like clear, like moving off of guys like Shep, but like they don't yeah. need $3 million next year. They need players to like, you know, I, I ranted on Friday. I was like, you know, you still got to play 17 games next year right. and be competent, you know, like that does matter for this coaching staff. Maybe it's not the front, but the coaching staff wants to have some type of competency out there. Cause you know, I mean, look at, you know, you can be promised a long-term plan, but look what happened to Pat Shermer after, you know, having no players on defense with, with yeah. Patcher. 
it's always um, that fine line they walk. And Gettleman, you know, talked about it too, where you, you know it's easy for us to tear it down and build for the future. But like you said, you got to fill a stadium for nine home games. You got to like put a product on the field for seventeen games. But that's why it's a fine line because Logan Ryan not being on the roster doesn't make the twenty twenty two Giants better. James Bradbury not being on the roster doesn't make the twenty two Giants better. So if you're all looking for the future, then yeah, just unload Saquon for a seven. Just cut Shepard, cut Martinez, all these guys. But like, it's a balancing. You try to say, can we get the best players that sort of fit and we're going to be competitive, but doesn't really hinder us in the future. And it's like, so not every move is going to line up perfectly with like one strict vision. Like we're only focused on the future or, oh, we're trying to win this year. It's it's a delicate act. And certainly Gettleman didn't master it. So we'll see how Shane does with it. Yeah, I mean, every single move so far has been, even if you don't fully agree with it, like I, I'm not as big on paying a backup quarterback, but it's like, I understand why they value it. The Ryan ones was like, man, they must have just like hated this dude because there's just no like logical explanation for this. And, and Dable was in New England with him for four years. I mean, he's on the other side of the ball, but he definitely wouldn't would know him. So again, it's not like they're just flying blind. So I mean, again, I, I would like to eventually get to the bottom of it. Again, I'm sort of just informed speculation at this point or just kind of uh, connecting dots. Um, but yeah, it, 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 it's hard to come to any other conclusion because nothing else makes sense on the surface. Yeah, well, Logan Ryan did it for the team. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you got anything on Tyrod Taylor, uh, Justin? Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that I was reading from you after Tyrod Taylor was signed, and it makes sense when you look at the contract breakdown, I'm sure that's what you were looking at. Tyrod Taylor signing him means more for almost 2023 versus 2022. So I want to get your thoughts on Tyrod Taylor, how that contract breaks down, you know, Hey, this isn't, this is definitely not an investment in uh, uh, definitely not a referendum on Daniel Jones being here post 2022. So give me some uh, Tyrod Taylor thoughts and what do you got? Yeah. Well, so I think when you first saw those numbers and I, you know, I, I, you know, put my hand up, I kind of, you know, ate the trash on Schefter putting out the first number of like two years, 17 million. Whoa, that's like half a million a year. That's, that's a good chunk of change. And like, I got, I understand those, initial numbers are usually inflated, but when the deal's that small, like, come on, can you throw in an up to, or, you know, worth a maximum of like, so when you find out it was two for 11, a lot more reasonable. And they they obviously got funky with that in the void year. Like they're really just trying to squeeze this on for as little as possible this year. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I think it jumps to like seven and change next year. So that's, you know, that's a decent cap. It's still a future starting quarterback. That's cheap, but for a backup, that's a decent chunk of change. Um, But the way I looked at it is like, I think people, especially people aren't Daniel Jones guys, Oh, this is it. This is it. He's out. The sign Tyrod to like, you know, have a camp competition. I don't see it that way at all. Like, I mean, hey, Tyrod Taylor, like, I don't know why people would think he's better than Daniel Jones. It's been a while since he's even been a mildly effective starting quarterback in the league. So I think he's definitely obviously a much better backup than the Fed. Um, and Daniel Jones stinks. Or if he gets hurt, then sure, you can see Taylor. But I don't think they're going into camp and, you know, alternating routes, uh, reps one in, one out. I mean, I think it's going to be Jones's job to lose by, you know, you'd have to really, you know, mess up to lose it before the opener. Um, but what I looked at it was the way they structured that deal. It feels like they're really setting it up for 2023, whereas they're not going to exercise Daniel Jones's option. That would shock me at this point. If they do that, there's no justifiable reason to do so. So if he stinks this year and you just want to cut ties with him, you already have your bridge quarterback for 2023. You don't have to like mess around next year and try and find somebody, you know, you kind of wash your hands with Daniel Jones. You say worst case scenario, Taylor's a starter this year. Hopefully you get a quarterback in next year's draft, but even worst case scenario, if you have to put it off to 2024, for whatever reason, you have him to get you through next season. It wouldn't be ideal, but that's the way I looked at that signing. Cause the, the two year part, there's a little bit of a commitment there where a lot of these guys sign one year, you know, kind of stopover deals. But I think the fact that they went two years with him, put a bigger cap hit next year, wouldn't really make sense cap wise to cut him. You know, maybe he's the backup. If Daniel Jones is absolutely awesome, becomes a franchise quarterback and they give him a huge deal. Then Tyrod just a, a high-paid backup, maybe. Uh, but I looked at it as nothing really to do with Daniel Jones in 2022, but a big-time hedge against Daniel Jones in 2023. You mentioned the fifth-year option on, on Daniel Jones. We, Like you said, there's there's really no reason to pick it up unless they just were – if they walked in and were like, no, we fully love this kid the way you know the last regime did. A different one, though, is Dexter Lawrence. And originally I was against it. And then you see someone like BJ Hill getting 10 mil a year, um, you know, Austin Johnson getting 7 mil a year. That decision's coming up. Do you kind of have a sense of what they're going to do and, and what you think they should do? I don't have a sense, really, because even in the limited times we've talked to Shane, it's, you know, mostly been focused on, you know, Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, James Bradbury. We haven't kind of worked their way down. And, uh, you know, the Lawrence decision isn't really top of mind because you think fifth-year option, you're obviously thinking Jones. But, uh, yeah, when I when I looked at that figure, 
I know he hasn't been great and you have to make a decision. Like if you're going to keep Leonard Williams, you're going to have two guys on your cap next year, 37 million and your defensive line. That's not ideal. But I look at it as, you know, again, the option is sort of a placeholder Like you mentioned some of the guys who were in his, in his class. I, at the time I made the, you know, I think my 10 step plan, I said they should exercise it. I was looking at Dalvin Tomlinson, another homegrown guy who was a pretty good player, got like 10 million a year. So that's what the option is. So I felt like, if you're just making comparisons, that's kind of the cost of doing business. And it's only been really strengthening to what BJ Hill got, which, I mean, I think that's a little much, but Hey, that's just what it's going to cost. I think but people I think might the, forget Cincinnati is a bad franchise and they're <laughs> kind of making some bad franchise moves right now, but they still got yeah. Joe Burrow. Yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, I like, I like what they do the offensive line, but I'm not sure that BJ Hill is where I'd be like sinking a, a significant amount of, uh, of money into, but no, I mean, I think, what I come to is at some point you have to re-sign your own players. I mean, I know that they're clearly, you know, kind of clearing house here with the old regime, but it's like, don't repeat the same mistakes of like, you know, Devon Kennard's got to go. Romeo Quire has got to go like Justin Pugh. I'm not saying they should re-sign all of those guys. I'm just saying like, there are some still decent players, players here. You don't want to like start from zero to 53. If you can keep some guys, Dexter Lawrence is a good guy, pretty good player. And the ideal point with the fifth year option is, okay, you pick it up. Now you have a whole year to work out an extension. And if you don't, all right, then he plays on it. But like, that's what the goal should be is start locking these guys up as early, not as early as possible, but on the earlier side. So you get a discount. That's what the Eagles do probably better than anybody. A lot of these times they sign these guys like, well, they're paying, you know, the, the Goddard this much or Maliata that much. And then after a year, you're like, oh, that's actually a pretty good deal. And they get the guys locked up on kind of team friendly deals. So I think that's kind of the ideal way to operate. And the Giants have not done that. They've always just like been like, okay, what's the deadline? Oh, we have to make a decision, you know, and then Lena Collins and agency or, you know, that type of thing. So I think being a little proactive uh, would be a good step forward. And I think like Lawrence, yeah, maybe you don't love paying him 10 million next year, but maybe that just buys you some time to, you know, work out a, a kind of extension that works for both sides. You can keep him here for three, four years and have sort of a core guy that you don't have to worry about going forward. Yeah. Not being uh, proactive on, Leonard Williams certainly uh, came back to bite them in the ass. That's that's the example. Yeah, that I that's think a of. better example than Lena Collins. Yeah, you know we were we were talking about um, you know holes on the roster and you know how many needs the Giants have and the way that you can address you know needs is by having depth. Now, one of the spots that Bobby and I don't like to have a lot of quote unquote depth on is that quarterback. And you were talking and you were writing about how there may be three quarterbacks on the roster this year because Davis Webb may not be willing to stay on the practice squad. Talk to us a little bit about that and what was in front of Davis Webb. Cause I think there was a little bit of a cor- correction that you, that we all had since. Yeah. Davis yeah. Webb signed. Yeah. Also, what was the, like, what, what did you think was the likelihood you'd be covering Davis Webb this, this long? <laughs> I know. I wish I'd say long into the future. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, did not see that come. Imagine he comes back and, like, is the starter somehow uh, after, you know, five years later. That should be, like, anointed as Eli's successor. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll peel back the curtain here. So I was talking to somebody at the Senior Bowl uh, out at night, and, you know, a lot of these conversations you have are kind of, like, deep into the night at these events. And so someone told me that Davis Webb had the option of being, you know, like at the end of the day, it was the Bills quarterback's coach. But so I obviously was like, oh, that's interesting. And then, like, you know, two days later, I went to write it. I'm like, they must have said assistant quarterbacks coach. Like, how is this guy who's, like, basically never played in the NFL going to get, like, the position coaching job for Josh Allen? I, I should have just double-checked. I was like, yeah, I must have been assistant. Like, I, I don't know, whatever. So I wrote that. And then I kind of heard from a few people, like, I think that was actually the quarterback coach job. So I was like, oh, man. So like, let me check in on this. And sure enough, it was. He would have been, you know, the Joe Brady job. Who obviously, that's a pretty big name. They were willing to give that position to Davis Webb. And to me, that changes the dynamics in one big way. Because, hey, we can definitely debate sort of the merits of, like, being the third quarterback or being the position coach. But what it changes the dynamics to me is money-wise. Because if he was the assistant quarterback's coach, I don't know. The, the salaries are kind of a mystery. But let's say it's 100 grand. So just being on the 53, it's, like, 800 grand. So that's a big difference. But if you're going to be the quarterback's coach, let's say that's 400 grand. Like, now it's a little tougher decision just financially. Um, so it wasn't just an easy decision to keep playing. And, and I think the obvious thing is, you're going to be the quarterback's coach for Josh Allen right now. I mean, that's a rocket ship that's, like, taken off. If Ken Dorsey could be a head coach in two years, then you become the OC. You could be the next Sean McVay, I mean, you know, playing this out. And I'm sure it's – I'm sure he did play this out. I mean, he obviously wants to be a coach. But I think he also looked at it like, I think he's 27. I mean, like, the you know, the, the dream of playing is every kid grows up dreaming to play, you know, not coach. He's really never gotten a shot. I mean, obviously, I don't think he's going to come here either. But he gets to still be a part of the team. You know, we saw Alex Tanney had a nice run of, of kind of this Davis Webb coach slash player role 
So I think at the end of the day, he looked at like, I still got a shot to keep playing. Coaching's not going anywhere. Now you might not walk into as good a situation as he would have walked into as a 27 year old first time position coach, seven arguably the best quarterback in the league. Um, but he, he has a really tight relationship with Dable. So my understanding, and this is more of a wink nod thing from, I don't, you know, there's no way it's written into his contract and maybe things can change. I think he's going to be on the 53. I don't think Dable would have kind of taken him here knowing what he left behind in Buffalo and then like stick him on the practice ball where he's going to make 200 grand actually making less than he would have as the quarterback's coach. I have to think there's like a friendly agreement because they, I mean, Dable really values him. I think he's, you know, kind of what we all joke about like good in the room. I think that really applies to him. He's basically going to be another position coach in there with, with Shea Tarney. So uh, I would assume he'll be on the 53 all season, you know, obviously inactive on game days, but I think that's just sort of part of the cost of doing business. where like, we're going to make sure we don't screw this kid after we, basically told him to pass on like the opportunity of a lifetime coaching wise. So I think they'll carry him on the 53. That, and there was a chance where I was like, maybe they're just going to keep him as the backup, which would have been crazy. But with, yeah. when I was looking at their cap situation, I'm like, maybe they're just going to do that. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, it made sense to go out and get somebody, even if it wasn't Tyrod Taylor. I had to get someone who's thrown a pass in an NFL game. Can you imagine yeah, that? <laughs> you, you read stories on, you know, Trubisky, Allen, and they all like mentioned like Davis West specifically. So obviously, you know, he did bring something to them. Um, but I'm excited for more preseason Davis Webb takes. Uh, you know, thought those were things of the past. Um, looking ahead, Nick Gates and, and Shane Lemieux, but I, I don't, Shane Lemieux's injury wasn't as gruesome as Nick Gates. Nick Gates, if you look at what he was before he got hurt, he'd still be the second best offensive lineman on this team right now. You know, I think he'd be better than you know, better than Glowinski, better than uh, definitely better than Feliciano. But that injury is gruesome now. It seems like they're keeping him, which I think is, you know, partly due to the injury settlement stuff with it. Like, have you heard anything? Like, is there any chance he, like, is at least, like, active as a backup when, you know, week one kicks off? You guys are the ones with the Nick Gates hookup. I think you guys are the ones of, uh, well, I think he did a press conference at the end of the year, but you guys are, like, the exclusive where he's telling you what the compartment syndrome and all these different things. I'm, like, taking notes watching that interview. Um now, I know from talking to people late last season, like towards the end of the year, there wasn't a lot of optimism that he'd be ready to go this coming season. Now, again, that's that's in like say December. A lot can change over eight months. I'm not going to sit there and say, oh, he's out for the year. So hopefully no one aggregates that part. Um, but that's that was the feeling. Like, it was such a gruesome injury. He had so many surgeries. There was so much damage in that leg that, I mean, it's almost one of those deals where like, hey, thank God you can walk again. You know, it was, it was pretty bad there for a while. Um, but he's clearly, you know, he's posted pictures. He's clearly back in like the rehab mode, which is a good step forward. I think if you want to look at a model, it's sort of like the Richie Soybert, where it was like, I think it took like a full year. And then the next year, he was finally able to get back and he was just like a jumbo tight end, even. It's really easing him back in. I, again, I'm not saying they're the same injuries, but that's sort of what I would think would probably be the ideal path for Gates. Um, again, who knows? Maybe he'll be a medical marvel and he'll be ready to go week one. Obviously, they don't seem to be banking on that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, keeping him. Yeah, there is the injury protection. I think it's just sort of it'd be a, kind of a grimy move to cut the guy after he, you know, literally had his leg blown up, you know, playing for him. He's been a captain. He's been a great guy. Uh, I thought the way to handle it probably was, like, do something where you can lower his cap it this year and extend him so you make sure he gets all his money. But that might have been – maybe that's something that's up their sleeve as, as, you know, the cap continues to stay tight here. Uh, but it's, I, don't, I don't think he factors into the 2022 plans. If he does, great. It's, it's a bonus. Uh, I don't see it. Lemieux – I think when it first happened, when he first had to get the surgery, it was kind of like, uh-oh, like this could be a, you know, career-threatening type injury. Those, you know, patellar injuries are, are pretty gruesome and pretty serious. Um, but again, when I, as the season went on, I had heard more optimism. Like, I think he'll be back. I mean, can't guarantee it as we sit here in March, but uh, I, I think he'll be back. So I think he's in that mix. I think it's going to be like him and, and Bredesen and Gano, or even out the Gono um, at left guard. I'm sure they'll draft the guy in the mid-rounds. So, I mean, that'll just kind of be a, a hodgepodge will throw bodies in that position. I think Lemieux will be in that. I mean, I think if I had the handicap, day, maybe he's the favorite. Um, Cause I, I don't think that injury is something that's going to uh, linger into 2022. Um, as my background falls uh, <laughs> off the back. Uh, all right. I, I want to finish off with some, actually just some judge Gellin and stuff, but is there anything else you want to hit on Justin? No, I'm actually interested to, to hear about judge Gettleman. Well, so it you know it starts off well obviously like you know i i think judge was overhyped after 2020 but the hype was deserved you know like there was there was you know there was it was deserved to be hyped around it and then it all falls apart in 2021 the firing of garrett i mean a, a very tumultuous season and you know they fired garrett and daniel jones is literally injured on the second play with the new office <laughs> of office of coordinator which is like 
like like that couldn't have you know you couldn't have dreamed up a nightmare as bad as that um what was the dynamic with him and Gettleman? Because it seemed like they were getting some stuff done. Like the la- if you look at the last two off seasons, you know maybe not perfect, but you feel good really about the twenty twenty draft. Bradbury and Blake Martinez were good signings. Um, you know the Leonard Williams they work all that was kind of prejudge, and Gettleman was backed into a corner there. Right. Even Galladay, as much as it didn't work out this year, like you can you understand it, and and they trade back at it. Like what ended up ha- like was the fallout between those two? Because you guys reported that they were not on the same page on a lot of things. Yeah, I mean it's a re- you know it's like any relationship. Obviously, you come in you know, day one, everything's great. Hey, you know, I just got hired. It's the honeymoon phase. You know, you know that happens with every regime. And so I think just progressively over time, they just weren't on the same page. And you know, it takes I don't know. If there's like one moment. I think it's just a gradual sort of erosion of the relationship, the trust, the communication, all of that. And it just kept kind of getting worse. Like you said, that first draft, it was kind of a weird draft too. You had COVID. Um, they did the same thing this regime is doing. We kind of went to familiar guys. Like obviously, uh, you know, Dave knew Bradbury, Patrick Graham knew, uh, Blake Martinez. They were getting guys they knew. Those are, you know, their two best free agent signings. Um, they tried to branch out last year, even, even though they did the big, you know, uh, kind of sleepover parties with Kenny Holiday. It still didn't exactly work out. Um, but yeah, like, I think it was just, you know, I think some, in some ways, philosophically, they were aligned, which is kind of like a strike against judge that he was kind of like that caveman attitude to like, you know, like, you know, punt and field position and, and that type of stuff. But, uh, I think in terms of like how to run the organization, they had very different views. I mean, I, you know, judge is a big time type A personality, like wants to get things done yesterday. I just, I don't, I don't know. I feel Gettleman just feels like one of those guys who was good in the room with the, you know, you know, we make the joke, but the Wii remote watching film maybe on the road back in his day scouting i just don't he was not an executive who like you know really led the franchise and had his hands on everything so i think just as things start going bad those cracks really widen um you know i again like everyone always wants examples of these it's kind of hard to nail them down i i, I don't know if it was on you guys podcast but the one that really jumped out was Ofedi odenibo that signing it's like it just didn't make sense like he didn't fit their defense at all but Dave or the pro personnel department, whoever's like, well, this guy had seven and a half sacks a couple of years ago. Like we need a pass rusher. Let's just sign him. And it was just like, okay, that sounds great on paper. And then you get to training camp and like, they don't know what, to, they don't know where to put him. He's like a third stringer. And like, that's just a, again, that's a small example, but that's like a microcosm of a lot of the things like, okay, like we got to cut Kevin's either for cap space. Like, okay, well, what's the plan to like shore up the old line. And there really wasn't one. And you know, like the draft moving back, that's clearly judge influence. You know, we have plenty of track record, but that's not Dave Gettleman's MO and judges come from New England where that's a big piece. So like, it was always just sort of a tug of war of like kind of who had the power and um, you, know, you just kind of go on and on. There, there was, it's like examples like that, that there's small examples in the moment, but they add up and add up by the end, uh, the relationship had just like totally deteriorated. Odenabo was definitely a, a small one, but I think, like you said, very glaring. Cause I, you know, we, we do our free agent videos now and, I remember coming away from that, it was like hand in the dirt, BJ Hill type. And people were like, no, he's going to play edge. I'm like, no, like he's going to be hand in the dirt. Like, <laughs> I was like, he's more likely to play inside than he is at stand-up edge. They put him on there. And a team that had essentially no edge production outside of Aziz Ojolari cut this guy in camp. Like that's right. how bad of, bad of a fit it was. So, yeah, yeah. it's pretty interesting. You know, uh, I think, you know, I, th- I think it was kind of like the it was really compelling the end of Judge because, like you said, it seemed like he was locked up and then the 11 minute rant and and then not. And, he you know, he was promised time like, you know, the, the organization promised him like, no, we're not going to pull the plug on this after two years. And they said, I, I think the right decision, but also, you know, screwed Judge over a little bit. Yeah, I think if he could go back and, you know, the hands of time he would have made a much more impassioned plea, I think, after the 2020 season to say, like, this isn't working. Like we, like we need to get, you know, Nick Casario would have been available at the time. Monty Osborne, one of these new England guys. And instead I think ownership wanted to look at it like, Hey, we almost made the playoffs, you know, six and 10, like we're on the right path. Why would we change anything? So I think that's probably, if, if there's anything he probably regrets, and this is just my, you know, speculation on it is that he probably should have been a little more forceful letting them know at that point, things aren't working. Cause I think, you know, as has kind of reported communication, that building, isn't always the best. I think there was an assumption like, oh, everything must be great. You know, we won, you know, five out of our last eight. We were in the playoff, you know, race. So I think that's probably of all of his regrets. That's probably the biggest because I think if he gets his guy in here last year, things go a little differently. He survives and at least, you know, he's into year three with a chance to really like kind of leave his imprint. Instead, it just blew up so fast and just the wheels came off so fast that it just like, boom, it was just over. You know, and like you said, like in a three week window, it just went, you know, totally off the rails. 
Well, that's an interview. That's how we end our interviews now. We appreciate you. Tony Award winner. Um, you know, make sure to you know, support, the, you know, Kadarius Tony Fridays, honestly, for the Bavs this season where we're pretty – actually, you know what? I'm not ending it. What's it okay. like a, a Kadarius Tony press conference? Because to me, it seems like, man, I better get this question right or else he's just going to literally laugh in my face. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is uncomfortable. Like, yeah, you can like basically ask. <laughs> That's why I love it. <laughs> you can ask like Logan Ryan. You can ask like Devontae Booker, like any personality, anything. And they're just going to like, you know, like Logan's not a good example because he gave like a really thoughtful, long answer. But like, you know, just some run of the mill guy you could ask and a question. They'll just mumble out some cliche. Like that ain't, you can't put it on autopilot with Tony. You have to be prepared for like the like icy glare and like 13 second pause and then him just laughing. So you definitely, it's one of those things where like sometimes if I don't have a question, you just ask a question to fill the air and like keep it moving. I don't really do that with him because it's not worth, it's not worth the awkward interaction. If I don't have something I need to ask him, I just sit it out because it, you, it definitely you, is uh, awkward. You can't be playful. Like I remember Art asked him like, hey, you guys are playing the Falcons, Kyle Pitts, like any scout, like just trying, like your buddy's like, Nah, nah, like just <laughs> no, not, yeah, like, no. This <laughs> Daryl Slater kept on trying. I mean, just kept on trying, man. It's like you're not, you're just not gonna win with, with this guy. But uh, no, nah, he's 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 by far the most interesting interview subject. And I haven't even been in the locker room yet, so that'll be really curious when it's like you have to like go over and approach him and see how it goes. At least when he came to the podium, he like knew he had to speak, even though he didn't always want to or really engage in it. Back? But uh, that's the that's the hope. That's the plan. I don't know if it's gonna be exactly like it used to be. But where it is, you know, like NFL said COVID's over. So we're uh, we're going to be getting back to some degree to uh, locker room access. So, yeah, that'll be that'll be interesting. I'm just looking forward to Tony. I mean, I literally would just sit there on Fridays, like, you know, 45 <laughs> minutes and just refresh Giants.com. Like, come on, give me the Tony because it's just gold every time. Well, the injuries were a killer thing. We lost him for like four or five weeks where he was he was MIA. So you you got gypped of a lot of entertainment value on Fridays and Sundays. Yeah, they started editing some stuff. Like, they – I remember there was one Rob that Rob Sale interview. It's like, man, I would have loved to hear the tone of this, but they edited every single thing out about Matt Parrot. But um, you know what? That's why you guys get uh, you guys. That's why that's why people got to follow Dan Duggan because you know the Giants can't edit anything else. Mm. We appreciate you coming <laughs> on as always. All right, so now now you got to send me a shelf to put the trophy on. It'll be we'll be good to go. I can next time I'm up there. Uh, you know, we have an office near where you, I guess I can't say where you live, but right. in the well, city that yeah, you live, I, you know, I can, I'll go to a thrift store and, and I'll, I'll haul a shelf up to whatever. I won't even <laughs> use the elevator. Here, look, we have Sounds extra good. shelves. I will show we have extra shelves. Oh my look, goodness. This is too, too good to be true. Oh, we've got the real deal. Manhattan office now. I mean, I haven't seen it yet, but it's supposedly it's pretty right real deal. So. All um, right. Sounds good, fellas. All right. Good as always. Hey, sure. All right, thank you to award-winning journalist from The Athletic, Dan Duggan, for coming on the show. And we got to talk about a couple more things before we get out of here. And one of those things being SeatGeek. Today's episode is sponsored by SeatGeek. Live events aren't back, which means you can get $20 off tickets at SeatGeek with promo code Giants, if you don't know what SeatGeek is, they're a ticketing app that makes buying tickets super simple. We've got the app on our phones, and I am actually buying tickets this week to the NASCAR race in Charlotte. I don't think it's called the Coca-Cola 600 anymore, but that's what it used to be called, Charlotte Motor Speedway. I'm the same way with NASCAR, where it's like, what like, I still call the the firecracker, for, well, it's like, it's the Pepsi 400, you know. Yeah, at Daytona in July, yes, so... Obviously. So that's what I'm doing using SeatGeek this week. And I'm using promo code Giants at checkout, which I'll tell you what, that's probably going to cover my fees, which that is honestly great. It's honestly fantastic. Whether it's football, concerts, basketball, baseball, NASCAR, or more, SeatGeek puts tickets from all over the web in one place and it makes buying simple. I'm going to pick a seat or a couple seats where it has a green deal. That means it's a good deal and I'm getting the tickets for cheap. So what I want you to do is use code Giants for $20 off tickets at SeatGeek. That's $20 off your first purchase with promo code Giants. Make sure you click the link in the description to download the app. Thank you to SeatGeek. Oh, word, SeatGeek. How about you send me to an Orlando Magic game? How about that, SeatGeek, before I get real pissed off at you? Um, go use SeatGeek, promo code Giants, $20 off. Uh, all right, that's an episode. We'll be back on Friday. 
Uh, assuming there'll be some more free agents uh, signings to round up, which if there is, that's what we'll do. If not, maybe we'll do our last mailbag until May. You know, like wow. we're, you, know, you know, like if we don't do one this Friday, it's our it's our last it's our last free episode where we don't have a set what we're going to talk about until mid May, because Tuesday is Nick Filato, the Friday after that is uh, the start of draft month, and we are off and rolling, baby. All right, we appreciate you guys. Any last words, Justin? Have a great day. Have a great day. We'll see you guys on Friday. Appreciate you. Enjoy your week. Until then, let's go Big Blue.